Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Bleacher Connection, your source for all things sports with your host, Ken and Trevor. As always, you can find us on social media. Trevor is at the BleacherCon1. I'm at the BleacherCon2. Today, we have a guest joining us to talk CFL and what it's like to work in sports media. Today, joining us on the Bleacher Connection is Farhan Lalji, member of the TSN family based out of Vancouver with over 20 years of experience in the industry. Farhan, welcome to the Bleacher Connection. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Ken. So before we get into the questions, just want to make sure you and the family have been staying safe during the pandemic and everyone's doing well. Yeah, everything's good, actually. My son and almost his entire hockey team got COVID in early February, and um, he was fine. And, you know, the, the rest of us haven't caught it yet, but everybody's been fine. I've got my first vaccination waiting on number two. So, uh, yeah, everything's been as good as it can be. Yeah, yeah well, glad to hear it wasn't too too bad for your son. And I've yeah. lost my 15. I've lost my 15. You know, you either gain it or lose it. I've lost it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's that's good. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a good time to actually try and get out there and be a little more more active, which is uh, definitely been doing that myself a little bit over the last year and a bit. So, so walk us through the early days of your career. What drove you into sports journalism, and how did you get your big break with TSN in 1997? Uh, you know, I'm not really sure what necessarily drove me to it, um, but I always had an interest in it. You know, and I, and to be honest, back then in the 90s, uh, when the you know the internet was was in its infancy and uh, digital broadcasting really didn't exist at that time. You know, it, it was traditional cable and traditional TV. And when I looked at who had those particular jobs in Vancouver, um, you know, there, there was a small number of stations and the people that had been on there had been on there forever and didn't look like they were headed anywhere. So I just didn't necessarily see the opportunity. So I wound up thinking at that time, I'd probably wind up getting into a different end of, of the industry. I thought I might wind up doing communications and and you know corporate PR and that kind of thing right and I, you know I wanted to stay in sports and stay around it so you know maybe I'd wind up working as a media relations person for one of the teams or something like that it was kind of my thought at one point um, I majored in communications at SFU and then I got a job there as their media relations director for the athletic department so I did that for three years and you know what that afforded me was an opportunity to network with all of the the mainstream media in the city right so that was very helpful to me because, you know, networking and relationships and who you know is certainly a big part of getting those first breaks. And then in 94, I got offered a job doing radio as a producer. Um, and uh, the host at the time said that, you know, if you, if you annoy everybody else as much as you annoy me and your desire to get coverage for SFU's teams, I think I'm going to do pretty well with you as my producer. <laughs> so, you know, so he hired me. And then um, 
you know, and that helped me to network at TSN a little bit. And then from there, uh, Barry McDonald, who's been a big mentor of mine in the industry, uh, it was uh, at he was at Sports Page, and then he went to CBC, and then he was going back to Sports Page, which was a real iconic show in Vancouver in the in the eighties and nineties. He needed a replacement, you know, for for uh, a sports person at CBC. So he really helped me and recommended me, and and I was able to get a job. And actually, at the time, I was anchoring the weekend news for a period of time, and then I was also reporting on sports during the week. So that was, you know, my transition from radio to television. And then um, the station, uh, CBC, canceled their weekend news in 97. And, and at that point, I was able to get hired at TSN because TSN was opening up what was uh, called the Western Broadcast Center. And that was something that uh, they had for about two years. So the Vancouver Grizzlies, the, the NBA team, just got started at that time. And, and Sportsnet, the competition, opened right around that time. And, and the Western Broadcast Center opened up then, too. So, you know, all of a sudden, the, the marketplace just opened for a brief period of time. And it, it created a few more opportunities. So it was, uh, it was good. You know, I, I, uh, I'm fortunate. I haven't had the, the long, long grind to get back to a major city. I never had to leave Vancouver. Um, I was able to get a, a network job fairly early in my career. You know, I didn't have to live in Dawson Creek and, and kind of pound it out doing different things. So, you know, and I, when I say that, I, I certainly have a lot of respect and admiration for people who do that. And, and that really adds to their journey. Um, but um, yeah, so that, that, that's kind of my path. It, it didn't take me that long to, to land at TSN. So I was very fortunate. Yeah. You mentioned sports pager and that I remember back in the nineties watching that with my, with my dad getting all the sports highlights every night kind of thing. That was, I definitely remember sports page. That was a, very fun show to watch yeah it really was and you know you could see a lot of remnants of sports page on 1040 right because they you know they tried to have that type of fun organic chemistry and you know obviously having people that were involved in sports page like barry mcdonald and, and blake price and others certainly kind of set it on that course so it was uh, it, it was a show that we're certainly going to and obviously don taylor as well and so it's a show that i, I miss to this day and um you know, I'd, I'd love to see some type of local sports programming with that kind of, you know, entertainment and warmth that that show brought. Yeah, it was great. Now, I, I got to say, you you probably have my dream job. Like, If there was one thing, I, <laughs> if I could not have to work today and go do whatever I wanted to do, in all honesty, I would want your job like that. You do such a great job of it. And I think it's such a, it'd be so fun to just get to cover the events that you do. And you've covered some pretty big events in your career with the NHL, CFL, NBA, MLB, golf. What are some of your career highlights from those? Um, and is there any that you haven't covered that you really want to get to? Well, in terms of highlights, you know, there, there's so many great ones. And I, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. And I do feel fortunate to have the job that I have, you know, you know I've, I've had opportunities to, to kind of be a full-time anchor and it didn't necessarily appeal to me as much as what I'm doing because I, I like being at the events, right? I, I don't want to be at a desk. I want to be at the events. So to be able to go cover, uh, you know, the 12 or stuff, like there's a, at least a dozen Super Bowls. It may have been more and, and more than that for Grey Cups and Stanley Cup finals and, and NBA finals and all of those things. It's been really rewarding. I think the, I think the highlights have probably been the Olympics, you know, um, getting to cover the, my, the Athens Olympics in 2004, you know, was the time of my life. I, I just enjoyed it so much. And, you know, seeing those events and, and experiencing a different culture that way, it was a blast. Uh, you know, when you get the best athletes in the world and that many young people together, um, it, it's just, it, 
there's a different energy and a different feel to it. it, it and they certainly appreciate the coverage because Olympic athletes don't necessarily get what NFL and NHL players get on a, on a regular basis. So I, I enjoyed that, you know, just these major sports festivals for, for three and a half weeks where you're in, in a different country. Uh, being in London, you know, I'm a big track and field guy. So getting a chance to go to London and be a part of the broadcast. Because when I did it in Athens, I was more on the um, news coverage, like, you know, sports, but for, for news and information sports shows like SportsCenter. Whereas when I went to London for, the, um, for those Olympics, I was on the programming side, right? And I was part of the broadcast team for track and field. So that was a lot of fun. And, and again, a, a you know, magnificent country and city to be in. Uh, covering the the gold medal hockey game in Whistler, like I was in Whistler for the good and the bad. I was there when you know the the loser from Georgia, the day of the opening ceremonies died. Right, like I was fifty feet away when he hit, and so I covered that. But then at the end of it, I also covered the Olympic gold medal hockey game. So that was a lot of fun. You know, my son was just born. I spent most of those Olympics in Whistler, and my wife brought him up, and he was about a year and a half, I should say. He wasn't just born, but you know, so to to have him around that was was cool, and I got to run in the relay. So those things were good, but, you know, certainly all the, the traditional sporting events were, were a lot of fun. I mean, I, you know, I love going to Super Bowls and, and I love going to Stanley Cup finals and doing all of those types of things. So I've been really fortunate in terms of events that I haven't covered. You know, I've done a lot of golf majors, but I never did the U.S. or the, the British Open at St. Andrews. Mm -hmm. Like I would have loved to have had that opportunity. And I've never covered a World Cup of soccer. And I'm not a big soccer guy, but, you know, it is the biggest spectacle in the world as a, as a sport. And I turned down the the world cup when it was in Germany, I had the opportunity to cover that. And I said, no, cause I was coming off a long run of travel between world juniors in Europe and Stanley cup and everything. And, and I, I didn't want to, and I, and again, I wasn't a soccer guy, but if I had a do over, I probably would have done that. Um, you know, and, and, uh, but for the most part, you know, I, I've got no regrets. I've covered a lot of great events and have uh, never taken that opportunity for granted. Are those, are those events um, offered or do you ever get a chance to say like, Hey, you know, if this is coming up, I really want to do that. Or is it just kind of luck of the draw? Well, you know, the, it's a bit of everything. There was a time early on in my career, you know, I think David Amber was at our place too. And David and I were kind of the two super reporters, not super in that we were good or Dave was exceptional, but in that they asked us to do everything. Right. So we, we would do a lot of these events. And then I remember it was around the time of the 04 lockout where things started changing because, you know, we, we didn't have a hockey season that year. And so now all of a sudden they started allowing people to specialize a little more. And it was around that time that I got taken off the, the golf beat, right? So I haven't done golf in, in quite some time, but, you know, back then in Tiger's early years and things like that, I got to do those. So, you know, now we're, we're allowing people to kind of specialize more and, and it's good, right? I mean, I've become very much more of a, when we lost the NHL rights, I've become very much more of a football specialist, right? So I still cover the Canucks but I no longer have to do other hockey, um, you know, and so that's great. You know, like, I mean, the Stanley Cup finals were fun. I, you know, I did 12 or 13 of them and, and now I don't have to do more of those, but I still get to keep my hand in hockey covering the Canucks. But, you know, my job used to be, you know, probably, you know, there was a time when it was probably, you know, 50% Canucks and, or, you know, or 60% hockey and 40% everything else. And now it's probably 60% football and 40% Canucks only. Right. So, it's, it's kind of morphed into the way I, I prefer it. You know, I'm certainly, I love hockey, but I'm definitely a football guy. So to travel more and do more NFL and to even be able to cover college football this past year and, and all the stuff I do on the CFL side and on the CFL side, not just reporting, but also being able to be an insider, um, you know, so I, I kind of get a bit of everything I want and 
and I don't have to do some of the other things that uh, that I did before. And, and again, I enjoyed them before, but I think there's only so much you can put in your brain, you know, and, and now that I've got a wife and kids, um, it, it makes it a lot easier to have to prepare and research for fewer assignments. Yeah. So kind of moving into the football side of things, um, when the CFL and XFL talks came out and in the very beginning there, almost two months ago, and I think it was, what were your thoughts when you heard that? And where do you think this is going to end up for both leagues? Well, I mean, I was intrigued. And I say that because I have a pretty good sense of where the CFL's finances are, right? I mean, there are some people in our industry that don't want to believe they're as bad as they are, and they're bad. Uh, and that was before COVID, right? So, uh, you know, there was always a team in crisis. And the teams that were extremely successful, you know, those success metrics, if you, if you, you know, put them in dollars, was not huge, right? I mean, you know, in the hundreds of thousands, sometimes in the one or two million, right? Like it wasn't like those teams were flush with money, you know, everything was going right. The stars were aligning and, you know, and it wasn't happening. And certainly some of those teams could have been spending less, but nonetheless, um, you know, I knew where the league's finances were. And I was one of those people that was always a real naysayer with alternate football leagues, right? Like this isn't going to work. This is stupid. But the last incarnation of the XFL, I, I saw quite differently. And I saw it differently because I saw how it got covered in the United States. And yeah, there weren't big broadcast dollars attached to it, but the ratings were pretty good. But more importantly, it was the narrative and around that league and how it was covered. Because, you know, on the, on the ESPN side of things, yeah, they didn't give a big broadcast television deal as far as money went to the XFL, but they paid all the production costs. It was a high level production. And then if you watch SportsCenter, and, and I'm down there a lot, or it was prior to COVID, and you saw how the broadcasters talked about this league, they didn't talk about it as a sideshow. They didn't talk about it as, as human interest. They talked about it as football. And they talked about the players as players. And, you know, because those, those broadcasters are also involved on the game broadcast. So they got invested. So then when they talked about it on sports center, they talked about it as a legitimate entity. I watched how it got covered in publications like the USA today and the athletic. And, and my understanding is they actually paid a writer to cover it for the athletic, but they got the platform and it got covered like a legitimate entity. It didn't get covered again, like a, a sideshow or all human interest or waiting for this thing to fall apart. So, you know, those things kind of made me think, huh, like maybe this could go a little longer. And yeah, you know, it, it, the, the, the crowds were great in Seattle and St. Louis, but only in Seattle and St. Louis. But again, I mean, I think those things are, are longer plays, right? And the fact that, a, you know, a market like Seattle viewed it legitimately, much like they viewed MLS, right? Like I thought if you could kind of build off that, um, there's some positive things. So, you know, I, I just think that you should never say no, right? And, and I know the, there were a lot of people that criticized the league for the 2.0 initiative. And, you know, and those things take time. And, and I do believe that trying to car carve out a bigger piece of the same pie is just not real. It, it's, it's not. You know, you, you need to find ways to make the pie bigger. And whether that's something like CFL 2.0 or whether that's, uh, you know, like the XFL and trying to get more involved in, in single game betting with a bigger card in the United States and on U.S. sports books, because now your league also touches their country. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot to it. And I, I think you have to go down that road. I think The Rock and, you know, Danny Gonzalez, I think they're much more credible entities than Vince McMahon. You know, even though wrestling was successful, when I saw the XFL the second time, I thought it was going to be stupid because the first go of the XFL was stupid. You know, in, in terms of the, the, the WWE 
ness of it, right? So, yeah. but this one was innovative and I liked it. So I just thought, you know, like, let's not just poo-poo this idea. Let's give it a legitimate opportunity and see what the actual numbers are like and go from there. Yeah, the second version of the XFL, I, I, I didn't watch a lot of the games, but I did like what they did and they actually tried to make it completely opposite of the first version, which you say was more WWE entertainment style. They treated it as football. And I got to say, when it comes to the NFL, I can't stand the kickoffs because it's just kick it through the end zone, you know, start on the 2025 and then go from there. I liked the rule that they put in for the kickoffs. I thought you still get the, you still get the run back. You still get that exciting play involved, which is one of the great things about the CFL is the, the kick returns, the punts. They, they can be some really exciting plays. And I thought they did well to try and innovate, even with the extra points. Uh, you go for one, two, three, even depending on how hard you want it, you know, how far you want to go back and how hard you want to make it. So I liked what they did in, in some of that. And I know there's been a lot of fans that have said, well, if there's a merger or any changes to the rules, I'm out. I'd rather see the league fold. And it, I just don't get that narrative from some. Yeah, me neither. And it's disappointing because, you know, when people want to be protectionist and talk about Canadian football, like we all have different versions of what the game is. And I'm sorry, like I grew up on the rules too. And I like the rules. Um, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a rouge guy for when the ball gets kicked out of the end zone, but beyond that, I like the rules and, but I don't think they're perfect. You know, like I've said before, there's nothing like a good CFL game, right? Like a good CFL game, it, like blows a good NFL game out of the water, in my opinion, like when it's really, really played at a crisp and polished level, but a bad CFL game is horrible. Like when you see a CFL mm-hmm. game with like 18 punts, like that's horrible. And, and I don't want to see that, right? So there's, it, the CFL game can take you to two extremes and, and you better have everything else lined up to get to the right extreme, right? So um, I, when, I, when I look at it, uh, I, like, I like it, but I, I just don't get this whole thing that I'm going to die in the vine when it comes to these rules, right? Um, I, would, I would rather protect the ratio, in my opinion, than the rules um, or all of the rules. I mean, I would love to see kind of a hybrid of both games where, you know, maybe the field instead of 65 yards or 53 and a third yards was maybe you know, 58 yards or 60 yards or somewhere right in the middle. Right. And the end zones don't have to be 20 yards deep. They could be 15 yards deep. The field doesn't have to be 110. You know, maybe you can have 11 men in four downs, but maybe you can have unlimited motion like the CFL has, you know, have the wider hash mark so you can play on a wide piece of the field. Like there's ways to, to come up with the best of both worlds, but people just don't want that. They're like my league or death. And to me, Canadian football is football played in Canada. Like I want a professional level game that fans can attend that I can cover. Like, you know, like I, I view that as Canadian football. I don't view it as just a set of rules. Right. I, I just think that's narrow minded. And why would you say I'd rather it die on the vine? Because maybe there's other Canadians that would enjoy this. And why would you want to take that enjoyment away from them? Right. Like it, absolutely. Just that whole, that whole thought of my way or death is, and, and I really don't think there's a lot of that out there. There, there might be people that'll say, I'm not going to support it any longer, but they're not going to wish its demise. Uh, they'll probably sit back if there is a demise and say, see, told you. But, you know, to, to want it to fail at that point, boy, I think that says a lot about you as a person. If that's really what you think, that you're that level of selfish, that you'd rather the league die than have it not be played on your terms. Yeah, it's like that kid that goes, sets up a football game with their buddies and is on the losing team. So he takes the ball and goes home. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I, I'm full on the, for the league to be successful, you got to change with the times. You can't stay stagnant because if you do, it's not, it's not going to succeed. It's not going to grow and you're going to dwindle away. So 
Yeah, I mean, for every person that tells me that I am done in this league, you know, you're going to lose all your diehards. You know, I have I have other people tell me that, you know, that there are young people that just don't view like they they're, they're just used to seeing four down football. Right. Like they watch yeah. the NFL, they play Madden. And now this just seems different to them, even if they're Canadian. Right. And and they would be more inclined to watch it if it felt more like the NFL, whereas others say, well, now you're just going to say it's a farm league and there's nothing different about it. So why would we watch it at that point? So I, like I respect both narratives. I totally do. I, I and, um, you know, I, like everything else, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And, and everybody who has an opinion has a strong opinion. And for me, I just, you know, I, I, I would love to see some sort of hybrid. I would love to see everybody be open to it. And I'd love to see a league that's financially successful. And, um, you know, we'll see where it goes because there, there's no guarantee this is going to happen with the XFL. You know, they're, they're at a stage in the discussions now where they really, really want to get a sense of what the true numbers are. I think they've kind of narrowed down what they'd like their, their options to be from a practicality standpoint and from a, you know, growth standpoint um, and structure. But I, I think now they're really trying to get it to some analysts and really get a sense of what the numbers will actually be, try to get a sense from networks as to what they'd be willing to pay and, and what have you. And if, uh, you know, and, and then both sides are going to have to see whether or not this makes sense for us, right? But yeah. I do worry because like what happens if you're, you know, one of these franchises in the CFL that's struggling and, and all of a sudden the rest of the owners decide, ah, this isn't for us. And then some of those teams say, well, you know, it is for us. And maybe we're just not going to stay in this league. We'll go to that league. Like I, you know, all of those things could be, could be pretty awkward if, if it's handled poorly as well. So uh, hopefully whatever the, the CFL decides, the nine teams can do with a level of consensus. Yeah. It'd be, it's going to be interesting once it, it does come out. Um, going to kind of put the CFL XFL to the side for a second because wanted to say first off you know congrats on not just 18 years of coaching BC high school at newest okay. Mr. Senior Secondary with the high axe but also for building that program from the ground up um just what are some of your proudest moments in that well first of all for coaching and thank you but uh, I've coached for 33 years going back to my days at Burnaby Central but, but I've been a head coach for for 18 uh, since I started the program at New West and um, you know, I, I think there's a lot, right. You know, for me, the biggest thing was to be able to take an idea and a vision and implement it and make it real. And, um, you know, it, it didn't always go in a straight line. There were ups and downs, you know, on the field and off the field, but, you know, we were able to get others to, to share in the vision and to, um, to, to buy in and just be excited about it. And you know, tradition is something that's so hard to create, culture is something that's so hard to create because those things sometimes can take a generation and you know you've really got to go at it for a while and you know we did that and we were patient and we were able to create that so to see our program go on these deep playoff runs and how the city just was like totally totally engaged and and interested and passionate about it and we had businesses coming to us saying hey listen I, I want like 100 tickets to sell in my business for the semifinal game or for the provincial final game you know, like who does that? What city has that? You know, we were able to create that, right? I mean, you know, when that happens, when, you know, Victoria, like God bless the Mount Doug's had great, great football teams, but I, you know, I can't imagine that level of community engagement. You know, Terry Fox has had great teams and great programs, but I, I don't know that the city of Port Coquitlam has invested to that level like they do in New Westminster. And that's, you know, no criticism on those coaches or programs because, you know, we haven't won as much as they have. They're, they do what they do in an outstanding way. But for us, we were able to get a community to totally buy in and to fill the stadium and to do those types of things. So I think to be able to take that vision and take it from a pure idea 
and make it real, I, I think mattered. And then I think the relationships, you know, and you get to really understand the, the level of impact and the level of those relationships when you go through something like I have the last few weeks, because, you know, when we won the provincial championship in 2017, you know, my phone blew up, like everybody reached out on social media, uh, on text, on email, everywhere. And I had people from around the globe saying they watched the game and were, you know, at four in the morning in Europe doing backflips and cheers and screaming and waking up their neighbors. Um, and, you know, everybody in the city wanting to celebrate us and calling us in to, you know, events in their company to speak to them, like, you know, so to, to have that kind of, kind of happen and just see the relationships and all the alumni and, and, people coming back to the games and coming, you know, just calling and saying, Hey, this is awesome. I'm so happy you guys won. Like I had that level of engagement this past week. Uh, and, and I had never intended for this to come out as something that would be perceived as an announcement. Right. I mean, I was just trying to send some people to my Instagram page and show some pictures, you know, and the blog I wrote, I wrote a few weeks ago and I was going to, you know, put that out later in the summer. Like I, I didn't want that to be like a big focal point. Um, but uh, it was interesting because when I when it blew up on social media, at the same time, I was getting texts and emails saying, hey, is everything OK? Like, are you healthy? Because they couldn't wrap mm -hmm. their head around the fact that I would step away and and, you know, or did you have a falling out with somebody and all these types of things? So then at that point, I thought, OK, look, just put the blog out to answer all those questions so people can understand, you know, really why uh, you did it. But, um, you know, I, I think those are the two main things. Number one, the relationships uh, of a lifetime. Today, I went for a run. And at the end of it, there was a, a, a young man coaching, I shouldn't say young, he's mid thirties, but he was coaching youth soccer at the stadium, uh, you know, at Mercer stadium where I coached, he, you know, soccer was going on. I was just running there and my son had a track and field workout and he stopped me. He's like, Hey, do you remember me? You know, I'm, yeah, I'm like, of course, yeah, I totally remember you. And he said, I just read that you were going. And I just wanted to tell you that like, I'm coaching all of these kids because of you coaching me, you know, and he's now in his mid thirties and you know, just to have that level of connection, you know, so many years later with, with so many people, it's, it's cool. Right. So those relationships and just being able to turn a, an idea into reality. Uh, I, I think both of those things have been really rewarding more so than any wins or losses. Yeah, no, it, it's a fantastic thing you did. So for all that time, the, the relationships you speak of, you know, growing up, I saw it myself because my dad used to coach myself, my brother, and he would coach others even when we were done. And as you just said, that experience you had today, that'll continue on because the impact you have on your players, it, it lasts on. And I think that's an amazing thing. Well, I appreciate it. It's uh, something that, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to miss. And even though I talked about in my blog about balance and things like that, I, like I've got no regrets. So I wouldn't have changed a thing. Uh, you know, I think the program itself uh, brought a lot to my family. Uh, you know, even though I, you know, I talk about balance and wanting to spend more time with them, it also brought something to them and they enjoyed being at the games and they enjoyed being part of the family and they enjoyed, you know, the status that came with being the kids of the head coach, right. And all of those kinds of things in, in our community. And, you know, I, I've said in new Westminster, you know, more people know me as the football coach than they do as the TSN guy. So it's uh, it's a, the city here. It really is a small town disguised as a suburb because they they've taken hold of it in a way that um, another town might not have. And, and I think it's because of that, that I'm really encouraged that the, the success will continue. That's really good. Now, kind of going back with the CFL XFL talks, if there is a merger and a change to say the, the Canadian game, the rules, what do you think that's going to do to youth amateur football in Canada? Nothing. 
nothing. Uh, you know, and, and people who tell me that, that that will hurt the game, I think, are ridiculous because most kids now get inspired to play the game by watching the NFL or playing Madden. And that's real. And that's no shot at CFL players who I love deeply and are invested in the community. And as long as we have teams here, those players will still choose to invest in the community. And for every Canadian player that invests, so do American players because they love it here. They feel less racism here. They feel they're important here. And if they can make the economics work with CFL salaries by doing additional work on the sides, so many of those people are inclined to, to continue to live here, right? Like the last year, it was Joel Figueroa and Claudel Lewis from the BC Lions that were my assistant coaches on my son's youth team, right? So as much as, um, you know, Angus Reed and, and uh, people like, uh, you know, Lamar Durant and, and uh, Michael Couture and, you know, name a CFL player from the area that contributes and give back. So do the American players. Right. And, and so don't minimize that. So the thought that all of a sudden kids aren't going to be inspired or, or there aren't going to be people engaged, they're wrong. They're flat out wrong. Uh, the, the only thing that concerns me in it is, and I, and I want to protect the ratio. Like, do I think that 21 roster members and, and seven starters is the right number? Maybe not, but I also don't think that there should be a token five Canadians and no starters on your roster. I think we, we do need, you know, a healthy number of Canadians and we do need Canadians on the field playing because for as much as we we're not interested in watching the Canadian offensive linemen, you know, we want to see kids touch the ball. When we get Andrew Harris and John Cornish do great things, Canadians do get inspired by that. And we celebrate those. And I long for the day where we'll have a Canadian quarterback that's going to excel in this league, you know, on a long-term basis. And I hope that Michael O'Connor or Nathan Rourke get those opportunities. But, you know, so I do think that it's important to have Canadians in the game. And I think that's way more important than some set of rules. The rules mean nothing to kids, absolutely nothing. And they might to certain communities, but as long as there are football teams at the professional level in Canada, you know, they'll be able to still impact youth football. And my one concern with the ratio is I do think the ratio matters at the youth sports level, right? And, and I do think that football is a hard game to play. And, you know, you will get kids that play it because they think it's a path to the CFL. And if there's no ratio, they may not choose to play it at the youth sports level. They may not choose to continue to put their bodies through the physical demands of the game. And they may not, when they're an upperclassman, you know, it's great when you're, uh, when you're, you know, your first three years, but those final two years, would you continue to play if that what CFL possibility wasn't there at the end? So I do think the ratio has the potential to negatively impact U sports. That matters to me. The rules, whatever. I just want, like, I mean, I like, them. Don't, don't misunderstand me. The fact that I'm diminishing the importance of them is not a reflection on what I think of the rules. It's just people are prioritizing this incorrectly. And if, as long as there's a, professional football in Canada and Canadians have a place to play count me in. Yeah. I think definitely, you know, like you say, with the ratio, they're providing that option uh, as they go through the youth sports and get near the end is definitely something that needs to be, to be kept around. Yeah, so, for, for sure. Yeah. So, so again, like in terms of grassroots, I don't believe it makes an impact, but for that, that middle group, you know, from the 10th grade of high school, up until the final years of university, I think, I think the CFL, uh, you know, and a ratio, I think those, those things matter. Yeah. No, high school football. I, I grew up in Surrey and I didn't, we didn't have a lot of it in, in the area. We had the, the youth leagues, but is the high school four down or they do three down as well? BC high school football is full U S high school rules. Okay. And, you know, and, and then there are places like Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba that play Canadian, but there's also places in Ontario and Quebec that play, 
a hybrid model or American football, right? Like whether it's the CJEPs or whether it's football North in, in Mississauga or, you know, different po- pockets in Ontario, like there are, there are hybrid models out there and, and it's good that people are willing to, to look at it. You know, there's this old school notion that the CFL rules lead to more passing. You know, we played Notre Dame high school, uh, which is one of the top programs in the country. They're based in Calgary. Right. And Dave Deluzio, they brought their team out to our school and, and they played us and we played American rules. And he said, he said, you know what, honestly, I would throw a lot more if we had a fourth down. Right. And again, this is one of the top programs in the country and they run the football well, uh, way more than they pass the football because there's a need in, in football among coaches to stay on schedule when you're on the offensive side of the ball and second and 10 sucks. Right. So he just said, he goes, I would be way more inclined to throw the football if I knew I still had more downs if I incompleted first down. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, you know, there, there are different versions of how the rules impact the passing game. And everybody seems to be of the notion that the passing game is more entertaining and, you know, we, we want to develop it. Well, the down doesn't necessarily do that. And people think that, well, you need to be a way better quarterback to play in the Canadian game. That's fiction because the, the Canadian game, yeah, you might need more arm strength to throw, you know, a deep pass to the field, but those are also forgiving throws. Like you look at Ricky Ray, Ricky Ray was known for that beautiful corner pass that he threw. Well, that was a touch ball that most often he just threw into space and somebody ran under it. Right. And yeah, it was an art, but he was able to do it with a shot shoulder. Right. Because it was just a touch ball, throw it out early enough and get it to the right spot. And and someone will get there. You try putting a ball into that same spot against the cover two on the NFL field. That ball's got to be a laser before the safety gets there. The windows in the American game are so much more tighter it's, it's a far less forgiving game for quarterbacks, right? So, you know, th- there are some misconceptions as to how the rules impact the game and how they particularly impact the game at the younger levels, right? Because, you know, I, I think, you know, I-, I think you need a lot of skill to play the Canadian game with the rules as it's constructed. And, uh, you know, and sometimes you don't necessarily see a lot of that at the minor levels. Yeah. So, with the return to play, we've seen the plans kind of come out for the CFL. Some, the dates are kind of in place now. Um, how confident that we're going to see it start on August 5th, are you? And the difference in people allowed in the stadiums. I know here in Alberta, where, where we are, the, the, they're saying full stadiums by mid-July. And others, awesome. are, yeah. Yeah, there, others aren't as, as optimistic, but where are you kind of falling on that? I think it's going to happen, um, you know, and I, I think the way the league has got it set up in terms of, you know, loading the schedule heavily in the West to get things started, I think is a good thing. Uh, you know, I think we'll be able to play in Vancouver by late August, uh, you know, given the fact that BC Place can be an outdoor stadium. The, you know, the question for me is that, you know, like, let's see Manitoba get their numbers under control, because I think their government has a real desire to support what's going on with the Bombers. They just need to make sure they're in a position to do that, right? So, um, you know, hopefully those numbers, can, you know, can can drop again and the vaccination rates go up because I think they're in a good place in Alberta. They're in a good place in Saskatchewan. We're getting to a really good place in BC. You know, you saw 2,500 fans at an indoor venue uh, in Montreal yesterday to watch game six of the Leafs and Habs series. So, you know, we're, we're headed in the right direction. Even Ontario's numbers are headed in the right direction. And, you know, for, for the thought, for some people out there that seem to think that, um, there hasn't been the communication that's being professed between the league and the provincial governments and, and PHAC and things like that. Like, come on, for real. Like, if you don't think backdoor conversations are going on, if you don't think politicians are saying everything they can right now to make sure they cover themselves, like those conversations are happening. 
and they're happening in a positive and productive light. And, um, you know, I, I fully expect there to be approval from, from PHAC on the quarantine front and for training camps to begin at the beginning of, or in early July, as, as, as we're currently being led to believe and that we're going to have the season starting on August the 5th. So uh, I'm optimistic that, that it's going to happen. So with that, and really hoping it does so we can kind of get back out there and see some CFL because it's been too long. There's been a couple reports that have come out that some couple of teams in the East may not be fully committed to playing. Is there merit to those reports? And if there is, could the CFL look at playing a season without them? Um, I, I think that those teams are committed to playing as long as there's fans in the stands, right? And I think they've been pretty transparent about that. So, you know, would they play if there were no fans for 18 games? I'm not sure they would, but I just don't think that's going to be a scenario that, that is going to exist, right? I, you know, I do think that fans are going to be allowed and that those teams are going to play. So, like, look, there are, there are teams that struggle with the CFL business model more than others. There are uh, teams that, from a big-picture standpoint, their ownership groups might not be as committed as some. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know that anybody is committed, you know, as – the three publicly owned teams, right? Like, you know, in terms of ownership groups, right? Like those three teams are, are deeply invested. And, and certainly Hamilton is right there. Uh, you know, Ottawa's right there. Like, but I, I don't know that everybody is equally committed. So, I, you know, I know people are looking at Toronto and I know people are looking at Montreal. Um, and, you know, is there smoke? Sure. Is there fire? No. Right. So uh, the, the thought of a seven team CFL team happening or league happening, I don't think that's happening. And truthfully, I don't think the other teams in the league believe that that's functional because, you need those large markets. The TV deal depends on the large markets. Uh, the TV or the national sponsorships depend on the large markets. So it's not as simple as just, yeah, let's just go play with seven healthier franchises and let's cut those teams off. Those teams are valuable for other reasons, whether their crowds may be reflected or not. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that completely answers your questions, but uh, I think they're, you know, are they as committed as some of the other teams? You know, probably not, but are they committed enough to play this year? Yeah, I think they are. No, that's yeah. If we can get all nine on the field, that's uh, that's the best case scenario for sure. There, there will not be a seven-team schedule this year. That's not happening. There yeah. will be nine teams playing, or there'll be zero teams playing, and and there will be. Believe me, there'll be nine teams playing. If there's if they don't get it off, is there concern for the league? Hundred percent. If they don't play this year, I I would really really believe the league is in grave grave danger, and because there's. Uh, you know, some people would tell you that that economically they would lose less money by by not playing on, on a short term this year basis. You might be able to make that argument. But in terms of what you're left with as a league long term, I think it would be devastating. So I, I would be really reluctant to, uh, to, you know, to believe that that's a successful model or that that's a real option. If, if just, you know, throwing scenarios, if that was the case where it was you weren't getting the buy in from all the provincial health um could you go to a bubble and do revenue sharing with the tickets with the, with the box year. office no no they're past that like that's not on the table and I, I know you could say hey, well let's just do the winnipeg or saskatchewan model or the winnipeg model that we talked about a year ago and i, and I just think all of that is completely off the table uh, and you know it, it's going to be tough to share revenues in that and i say that in that revenues denotes profit right like are you talking about revenue sharing you're talking about profit sharing right and there's certainly going to be minimal revenues and those would would decrease substantially if they were in a bubble so i i just yeah they're not looking at those scenarios at all i think they're they're looking to play in market yeah yeah like i said we're just looking forward to hopefully seeing the football out there sooner than later so um before we let you go 
is we usually as part of the show where we give our the opportunity to let our listeners know what you got going on. If there's anything you want to kind of promote and plug. Not really. You know, we're just, we're, we're following the CFL closely for me with the Canucks out, you know, I'm not having to really worry myself about playoffs at all. Right. I, I am watching, but I'm not having to cover it, but it's just CFL watch right now for me. And then, and then hopefully travel restrictions get lifted at some point in the summer and I can get back out on the NFL beat as well. But uh, yeah, with, with the Canucks gone, I mean, you know, we're, we're tracking the Sedins and, what's going to happen with them in terms of getting back in and pretty soon we'll get to expansion draft and regular draft. But uh, right now for me, it's just uh, follow the CFL as closely as I can to, to their announcement at some point in the next maybe three weeks here about uh, committing to a schedule and getting on the field and going from there. All right. I will ask one hockey question that we, uh, we didn't prepare for because we didn't, we did it before game six. Who's winning game seven Leafs or Canadians? Hopefully the Canadians. Yeah, I think there's a lot of Western Canada that feels the same. Yeah, I mean, the, look, the Leafs are the better team, but I, I hope it's the Canadians for sure. Yeah. Uh, that, I'm a uh, Western Canadian, and, and that's my that's my mindset. Yeah. yeah I watched uh, the, the overtime and part of that game six last night, and I'm not going to lie, I may have had a smile on my face when the OT goal was scored. Me too. All right, well, Farhan, really appreciate you taking the time today to come on the show and and talk football and your career and everything. So before we let you go, I just want to say thanks again. Where can people find you on online? Uh, well, uh, Farhan Lalji TSM, TSN on Instagram and on Twitter. I've also uh, got my own website, farhanlalji.com. There's a, you know, there's blogs there and pictures and videos and other things as well. So uh, you can follow me there as well. But uh, yeah, lots of places to get a hold of me. Sounds good. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. And I want to thank everyone for listening.